Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park. Hello, Park. grace and peace. We're taking uh, oh. Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. And I'm Study. Jeff Park with <laughs> Out My Phone Muted. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was and just about to say. On, chat on YouTube. I was literally well, about to again? say, it's like we were never gone. And then... <laughs> <laughs> also not, i never put phones in. i'm not even gonna restart it i'm just gonna keep that in <laughs> <laughs> okay <clears throat> he's josh aka ion cap i'm his lovely and talented somewhat talented co-host jeff park aka the thyatia <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, folks. <laughs> AKA the Thyatira Thyatira Tire Fireman. Tire Fireman. Tire, tire Fireman. Yeah, there you go. Tire. Fi- <laughs> I, I, I. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay all right man it's it's been a while i know it's it's always sounds it seems weird again this is where like time is messing with me because weekly we are still putting out episodes but it's been a while since we've done this uh ourselves and so it it, it feels like we've been away for so long and yet if you're watching regularly as all six of you are uh you're just like what do you mean you guys are coming every week uh (laughs) <laughs> but uh but here we are uh recording again doing the dance singing the song doing the thing and uh uh and patrick's in the chat all is as all is well all is as it <laughs> should be. Be. yeah everything is what it should be uh <laughs> what's been going on jeff well uh you're welcome for humbling uh the uh, American women's national team. If anyone was ever in need of a humbling, um, <laughs> it was that passel. And yep. so you're very welcome. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> we're glad to have done that for you. Um, uh, you know, bronze in the right light. Looks <laughs> um, so yes, I was awake at, uh, 6.30 in the morning after having driven all night um, <laughs> to, to watch that game. And I have no regrets. Uh, the, gold, the, gold, the gold medal, the gold medal game, I mean, uh, specifically um, in, uh, in that regard. So, Oh yeah. Um, it's so true. Uh, um, Patrick made the comment that the, uh, the soccer team decided to not score in solidarity with BLM. Who saw that? Who was it? That was, um, Someone did actually a video. Was that um, uh, oh my goodness, what is his name? Uh, the the uh the su- he used to do those videos called the Super Spiritual Life. Now he's doing a lot more like uh oh oh JP JP Sears. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did that. Yeah. Didn't he did that like a video where like they're about to score and all of a sudden and then they did, were stunning and brave or something like that, or something like that. <laughs> I saw a video about that or someone someone was doing that. Uh, but that was pretty great. Actually, Josh, it was not J.P. Sears. 
it was the Babylon Bee, you silly Rubio. Sincerely, Randy. Uh, yeah, it, it's, if any, t I'm, I'm sorry, but if any team deserves to lose, like, I'm not, okay. I'm not, stand for the flag, put your hand over your heart, and shed a tear while the national anthem is being played. That's not me. In fact, I've been known to just stand quietly with my hands behind my back because it all feels a little too close to worship. And yet, something weird about, okay, kneeling for the national anthem in a NFL game, NBA game, whatever. That seems like, okay, whatever. Like, if that's, that's what you want to do, that's how you want to bring attention to racial discrimination, I don't get it, but... I mean, like, that, that's one of the things that I've always thought about that is it seems stupid just because I don't it's you don't look at that and think, oh, they must be uh, protesting racial discrimination. They're, they're putting their knee on the floor. Um, but but like uh, for that's for one thing. But the other thing is just like it's <clears throat> the Olympics. I mean, come right. on. Like, like, if you don't like your country, no one's making you play for them. Yeah. So. Like going and representing your country. Like, that's the whole thing. This is what this is. You're representing your country on the national stage. So just stand up, you idiots. Like, like it's just for for a minute. Forget the virtue points. Make it about more than just you. Like, that's that's the whole thing about the Olympics. It's like, this is the time when we're all supposed to be like, go America. Okay, let's just forget about it. Forget, forget about the fights. Forget about the everything. Can we just, okay, we want to win gold medals. That's what we're doing here. And could just just stand up. Like this is the, like yeah, when you go back to your home teams then you can kneel. But I don't know. It it doesn't make sense to me. This one like I I'm I'm getting a little boomery on this one, but uh, it just seems like <laughs> the, it's the Olympics. Come on, man. Like just just Well, do the just thing. imagine it the other way. Like if 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 there was a team uh, a, a team full of Trumpy uh, Trumpers uh representing and and just outrageously vocal about it uh couldn't shut their yap about it uh um then can can you imagine that that would ever fly that anyone would ever stand for that that anyone let, would let them represent yeah. the united states in that and that okay i lost you man it looks like the patriarchy got his mic or he is the patriarchy it's the brave and stunning Women who put who put him to put him silence. Okay, sorry. There you are again. You're back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I I, I I realized I must have lagged. Um, yeah, I was just saying it's it's just like one more reminder for half the country that their views and opinions don't matter. Yeah. Um, and and that's how you end up with civil wars, right? Like that's um, you know I I I hope against the civil war in part. In part because I hope for a peaceful session, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, the matriarchy took my audio. That makes sense. Yeah, that that's what that, that that checks out. Um, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, I, it's just I don't know. Um, I I don't know how anyone can expect um, one side in the culture wars just take it and take it and take it and take it and take it um uh, without doing horrendously unproductive things like 
um, like uh, CRT bands that don't actually ban CRT and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm afraid something even less even less productive um, than that. So yeah. Um, but but anyway, I think so. Dave Smith the other day on his podcast was talking about how he's like a, a public school uh, collapsitarian, how he doesn't want to ban CRT. He wants to put more of it in so that more so that parents more and more want to get out of the, the sinking ship. I was like, yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, right. I, as long as, as long as no one has to pay for those schools, then great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, no. that, I mean, that's, that's the only that's the only real objection I have to that is that um, is that then if if functionally anyone who doesn't want to with that nonsense has to pay for school right if public schools become increasingly irrelevant, sure fine that's great but then um, but then they're increasingly relevant and still increasing their funding. Yeah, right. <laughs> like like yeah. um uh because because what happens to a failing government program you give it more money <laughs> yeah. so, so it, it 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 ends up um it, it, the more irrelevant it is the more regular people have to pay for it <laughs> um and and again like these things are not good for the cohesion of a people who are supposed to live in peace with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's true. I, I think the, uh, okay. So, so I've got sort of like two, two way, two minds on this issue. On, on the one hand, I'm just thinking like, you know, we, we did, uh, uh, no, no, we haven't done this. Uh, we had talked about doing a video. Uh, maybe we'll do it eventually uh, on, on kind of this, this question of, uh, evangelical the evangelical downgrade i've been tweeting a lot about it but um mm. on the one hand i've got this kind of mind about me this being like i just want to like shake some of these uh social justice type evangelicals um and be like like like, like what patrick dropped in the the chat that you know hollywood sports major corporations and more than half the fed half of federal state and big cities are on your side and uh and of course, he's he's making a joke about the things, but like, uh, th that just makes you be like, and then you think you're being brave by taking that side from the pulpit, you know? And I'm just right. like, it's it's, you're clearly taking the side of the culture, like, whether or not, like, there's a point at which, like, even if you're right, don't you think that some there's something suspicious about the fact that you're making their priority your priority, right? I, get, I think that's something that should cause you to pause to be like, you are, you're taking like, for one thing, you know, like I, I made, I did, I tweeted the other day. I was like, I had uh, commented on, there's this, uh, there's sometimes you'll hear this among evangelicals of like how uh, LGBT people, uh, people in the church need, need sympathy. And on the one hand, I, I guess if what they mean is people who struggle with those desires and are trying to live faithfully as Christians need sympathy. then I'm like, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. But when people say it, it's sometimes they're they're saying often they're saying something broader. Like they need they don't need our contempt. They don't need our our whatever our, our condemnations. They need our sympathy. And I was like, why? They're clearly winning. Like like if if 
if a person comes out pro LGBT or comes out trans or comes out gay, like that can do nothing but good for their career. Like with it, with it. Oh yes. Maybe there's like two or three jobs. Most of them are church related where that won't be good for their career. Uh, but I mean, even many churches, they'll do great by, by coming out. Or if you come out in support of it, like, do you really think like you're going to get, you're going to take a lot of flack for that? No, no, you're going to be celebrated by the broader culture. It's the easiest thing in the world to come out in favor of that. If anyone, if anyone comes out against it, they may as well just quit their job because they're going to be gone. Like they're going to, there's just a matter of time. They will be kicked out. Even if what they come out as is not anti it, but not 300% for it. They're going to be removed from their position. Like if, if that doesn't send the signal as to who is actually winning. Like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Patrick says Michael Malice's quote, like, what's more dangerous today to come out as LGBTQ or as a Trump supporter? I think we all know. Like, we all know. And and again, we have gripes with Trump. We have gripes with Trump. I've said this a million times. We have gripes with Trumps. And I'm not I didn't vote for Trump. Never did. Uh, I don't recommend it. I always say I understand it, but I never did it. And I would not recommend it. But like. I, but but like it's it's very clear. As a Canadian one, who's a fan of free trade with America, I have one extra gripe with Trump than you do. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. But, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 very clear, uh, uh, which side is is losing this culture war, and mm-hmm. and so to to make it to make it seem like you, by taking that side you're doing something brave, especially as an evangelical, like what. I don't know if you know what the word worldly means, but if anything is worldly, it seems like taking the world's uh, priorities as your own priorities is that. Um, but the other mind I'm of is, uh, you know, I, I've been hearing it's this constant refrain of like, oh, man, we live in the most divided age. We live in the most divided age. And I want to be like. When we were unified, was that better? Like, we were unified and causing some pretty terrible damage in the world. And, and we were unified in a pretty consistent, slippery, downward trend. Um, and, and also, there's like a sense in, in me in which I'm just like, if you're looking for national unity, the last thing you want is the gospel. Because the most divisive thing you can do is to believe in the gospel according to Jesus. According to Jesus, <laughs> like exactly. He's, he's <laughs> going to tear apart families. And so I'm like, the increasing divide in this world, I'm kind of like, well, if we were successful, that's what would happen. You know, and that's, I don't know. Well, and once again, I will uh, I will bring the international perspective to the table. Um, if uh, So cosmopolitan. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm. I'm really. This. This is actually champagne. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm. I, I just. I drink it out of a Mountain Dew bottle to not seem quite so effete. Um, 
para <laughs> but uh and and Carl Manger says sorry I'm late I had to stop by the wax museum to give the finger to FDR <laughs> which is always the approved reason to be late always um approved. uh but uh uh but look okay so giving the uh a feat uh, champagne sipping uh, uh, globalist perspective here um, <laughs> um, is is uh, uh, you think um, uh, you think the the world actually wants America to be united? And before you answer that question, um, uh, as someone who uh, lived near Germany, uh, did you want them to be uh, seventy three? Principalities or one United Germany? How that how that turn out? <laughs> so, so you know what? Um, unity isn't necessarily great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, is uh, uh, there are there are worse things than being disunified, um, and uh, um, especially when we're talking about political unity. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but. What what's what's bad, what's bad, folks, is violence. Yes. So if you're violently suppressing someone to keep them in a union with you or violently at war with each other to try to maintain a union that shouldn't exist, um, then then that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but disunity is not disunity is not inherently bad. Um. Yeah, and uh, Patrick is doing some propaganda in the chat, uh, propagandizing for the United <laughs> Germany and for the Kaiser. Uh, <laughs> he got confused about what kind of podcast he was listening to. <laughs> oh yeah, the uh, the uh, the Bismarck Bible study is over there. Is, uh... <laughs> yes. Uh, so. I mean, it's like, how, how do we do this? I, we used to be able to do this all the time. Now we transition to the Bible study. And <laughs> I forgot how we do yes, this. Yes, I think at some point we, we read the Bible. <laughs> do we read it? Do we do that? <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go into the, go to the text now. Flawless segue. Thank you, Carl. Carl Manger in the chat. By the way, if you all and, don't follow him, and speaking of flawless segues, Brooke Lennon did not pay for this podcast. Oh, I was lagged again while I was making a joke. It's a fate worse than death. Um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I, was I, I said, and speaking of flawless seg segues, Brooke Lennon did not pay for this podcast. Continue. Oh, <laughs> oh man, yeah, we we don't have sponsors. Clearly, we'd be a better show if we did that. Uh, <laughs> So we're looking at once again, as you can, as, as the viewer can tell, and the audio listener is jealous because they cannot see, uh, there's a lot of cross references that we're going to be looking at this week. It is a very connected passage. Uh, and, uh, whew, um, but we are gonna, we're, we're going to try and we're going to try and do this in two episodes. Um, for those listening live, you'll probably fall out at some point, uh, because we are so obnoxiously long winded, but, uh, we're, we're going to see how we can make this work. But as usual, what we th we're going to do is, uh, take a run at it. 
from chapter one, reread chapter one, because uh, so much of that is uh, essential um, to uh, essential to what we're going to be looking at. So we're going to start with chapter one. So here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It's the prologue, uh, this setting the stage. Who is it? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him through John. Uh, for his servants, through an angel, and then to the greeting. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful <coughs> witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So this is where we remind you once again, uh, uh, this is a letter, and that's, a, that's an important thing to remember. Is this isn't just a pedantic note. It's important that we realize this is a letter. This isn't some fanciful fiction. It is written to a people in a place and a time for their benefit. That's why it starts with a letter greeting. Uh, the John is the sender to the seven churches in Asia, the people receiving it. And then there is a grace and a peace from there's, there's a sort of a, a greeting from uh, or th sort of a, a, the divine sponsorship of the greeting. And then a, uh, uh, a dedication to him who what loves us and has freed us. These are all elements of a letter in the ancient uh, in, in, uh, in, in ancient Rome, the, the time of the Bible. And then we have kind of the start of the body. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, who was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes, this is important because it's going to come in our passage. His eyes were like mm -hmm. a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are and those that are about to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the churches. So this is a letter written to the seven churches, which there are seven specific churches, which we've been going through right now. Um, but that, the number seven is the number for perfection, for completion. So this is for the full church, from the one who stands in the midst of the churches, Christ. And he is sending out his seven angels, or sending messages to the seven angels uh, who, who stand over these churches. And through them it is coming the letter, uh, or coming the words. And uh, and so we, we come to the seven actual <coughs> churches uh, of the book of Revelation. So let's take a look over here at the Word document. Once again, uh, audio listeners are and Jeff are both um, jealous at this point because they don't get to see what's I, on my screen. I'm watching it in the chat. I'm watching it in the... Uh, oh, right. He's cheating now. See, see, now he's he's doing something that yep. you audio listeners just wish you could do. Um, you just have to, uh, to, to imagine it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we're looking at... Uh, th this is the... Uh, this is all chiasmic. Chiasm, of course, we remember from from uh, the episode Hyperchiasmic. You can find it on our um, on anywhere you find our YouTube, any YouTube or anywhere you find our podcast. Um, we talked about how the, the 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 seven churches are all formed in a chiasm. Chiasm starting with A and A prime. Those two being kind of a mixed church in danger of losing their identity as a church. They're exhorted to repent in order to prevent judgment and to inherit promises. And the first one we looked at was Ephesus, which we, we uh, uh, we'll, we'll find actually some parallels and actually some opposites between Ephesus and the letter that we're looking at today. Um, so the Ephesus, he, uh, their, their major issue was that although they were good on false doctrine, they were... Um, they, they had lost their first love, which was the love of sharing the gospel to the people who, around them. Um, even so, even though they were sound in doctrine, they were not, they were failing their, their ministry of love and, and of, of proclamation. Uh, Smyrna was the B level, the B and the B prime you'll see is Smyrna and Philadelphia. Those are the second and the second to last churches. These are a positive evaluation. Uh, these are churches who have proved, which have proved themselves faithful and loyal to Christ's name, even in the face of persecution. No rebuke there, only com only commendation. And uh, we saw with the church of Smyrna, um, they were you know uh, slandered by the uh, synagogue of Satan, and they were uh, about to suffer, and the devil was going to throw some of them into prison, but. Um, there's a promise that if they were faithful, even unto death, they would be given the crown of life. Uh, and then the church we looked at last week is the church of Pergamum. 
<clears throat> and uh, on the C level, these are all mostly negative churches, mostly negative uh, judgments. There's, there's not that not there are still some who've remained faithful with all three churches, um, but there are many who have become compromised in pagan culture with pagan culture. And there's an exhortation to purge the elements of the comp of compromise to avert judgment and to inherit promises. Uh, Pergamum, the church we looked at last week, was in the best condition of the three. Um, they, they dwelled where Satan's throne is. And we talked about how that could be uh, any number of, of things. Um, but I think a, a big one that we, we want to point out is the imperial cult is, is such a big threat. And that's going to be uh, important for this week as well. Um, and in fact, there are some who had been who had been even uh, martyred or, or killed for their faith and for their testimony. And um, and yet there was some false doctrine that was slipping in. And they talked about the uh, the teachings of Balaam, who was the uh, the prophet from Numbers 22 to 24, who had um, first he had been brought in to be kind of a a pay for prophecy kind of guy. Um, but the Lord wouldn't let him prophesy against Israel and said prophesies for him. Uh, we're going to come back to him today. Um, but in the end, he actually leads them into um, idolatry and um, sexual immorality, which is what we find the the people of Pergamum or these uh, these uh, false, these false uh, or these uh, false teachers or this 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 uh, um, heresy in the church is basically compromising to pagan um, practices. I mean, which kind of is is uh, fitting with the topic we started with, that there is kind of a compromising with the world in order to um, receive the world's commendation. And this is where we see the, the Nicolaitans come in, who were probably uh, a people who did something like that. Um, they were named after one of the um, deacons uh, of Acts, Although that doesn't mean that they find their teaching from him, but that they probably claimed him as supporter, um, kind of like how how many of the Gnostic Gospels were named after um, disciples, even though no disciple wrote them. Um, it was to, in order to to claim um, the the prestige of him. Uh, and but 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 what is going on here is this practice of eating food sacrificed to idols. This is the practice of of taking part in the blasphemous rituals of the day a lot of times because they were tied to the uh the the unions so in order to get a job at working <coughs> in these churches uh it, you had to take part in their blasphemous practices often offering sacrifices to false deities or to uh the or to caesar himself um and there were many who were coming up with some kind of a compromise position. Well, it's okay. In fact, we see that in, in, in mm -hmm. First Corinthians, where they'll say things like, "Well, I mean, they're, I mean, they're not really idols. That there's no god except one. What's what's wrong with uh, killing an animal on an altar? And and what's what's wrong with a barbecue on some Zeus-shaped barbecue? And uh, and and mm -hmm. Paul and John would both say, "No, no, no. You are compromising. Absolutely not. You cannot do this." Um, and uh, and and we and when we turn to Thyatira this week, uh, we're gonna see they're not um, 
they are not as bad as Sardis is, and yet um, we point out that they're, they're starting to get worse. We're, we're on the downward trend with Thyatira. And, there, and you'll notice that there's also something that we're going to keep an eye out for. Right here, there's a statement to the whole church right in the middle of this letter, which we talked about a while back that mm -hmm. this is... Um, this is because, uh, or this is this is a sign about the the state of the churches, um, in, in uh, <laughs> in, in John's letter, um, is that we 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 like to think of we like to look back on the church, and this is kind of a, it's like the opposite of of uh of C.S. Lewis's um, chronological snobbery. We like to think that the early church was this pristine, beautiful, perfect church. Um, and that's just not the case at all. And uh, it's especially true um, in these letters that we're seeing that most of the cases, most of the churches are being tempted to turn aside into these idolatrous practices and to compromise. And, uh, and, and that's, and and that just shows that the church has always been the church. The church has always been the church like this. The church of today and the church of the past. There's always that temptation to compromise, the temptation to uh, pull back on the witness. And so, um, <laughs> Patrick, you bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. You do not <laughs> use the message or New Living translation on this podcast. We are purists here. <laughs> So we are looking at Thyatira, and so we're finishing chapter two, and someone in the back says, about time. Um, <laughs> so we're going to finish chapter two tonight. Um, so this is our season finale. It's kinda, yeah, it's kind of like a season finale, although the next season starts uh, literally the very next week. So uh, it's it's not even really <laughs> worth getting worked up about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, here we go. And so, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel calls herself a prophetess sorry hold on canceled sorry had to do it anyway uh who calls herself a <laughs> prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols i gave her time to repent but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality behold i will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her i will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden only hold fast to what you have only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, 
To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, uh, because we're trying to do better about this, um, I'm going to say a quick prayer before we get into the text. All right. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is here to show us what to be and what to do and how how to walk and how not to walk. Um, but Lord, most of all, that it points our way to you through Jesus Christ. I pray that as we look at this text, we would um, not twist it to fit anything that we want it to say, but that we would... Um, see what is there and what it has to say to your church today. Um, and uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Amen. So now one more time, we're going to look at uh, my screen that, uh, that only, only the elect also known as the video uh, partakers will see the uh, the truly wise. Um, <laughs> the Reformation Study Bible points out like what what each of these each of these letters mm. follows a specific structure, starting with the address C to the angel of the church of Thyatira, right, and then the identification of Christ, alluding back to His Majesty, displayed in chapter one twelve through twenty, the words of Him who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And then a claim of knowledge. I know, and this week is, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, and patient endurance, which your latter works you see the first. And then there's a evaluation. And here we see it goes right for the rebukes. It doesn't uh, waste a lot of time before getting right into this. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. And, uh, and then there, it does actually have some positive. He speaks to those who do not follow this teaching. So there are some who have not compromised. Um, but, but it is largely a, a rebuke. Um, and then there's a, a statement of an I will statement. And here we do say he is, says, I will give to each of you according to your works. And again, I will. Uh, there's also uh, there's a. a not an I will statement, but he does say he's going to come. And then there's a uh, to the one who conquers uh, and who keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the father. And then and I will give him the morning star, which that's going to be interesting. Can't wait to get into that. Um, and then it ends with the he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Um, and which is a prophetic statement about the, the reality that some who hear this will not have an ear to hear. And, uh, so there's, uh, that, that must be, um, those who come must come reverently and uh, expecting to hear God's voice. Um, so we're going to do so. Um, so, uh, but let, let's zoom in now on, uh, on the church uh, to 
So, and to the angel of the Enthyatira church, uh, right. So, uh, once again, there's the, uh, the fun little Greek right there of, uh, the Enthyatira church. Um, so, so Thyatira, we've been doing, uh, lately, uh, some, uh, some background on uh, the churches that we're looking at. Uh, Thyatira, uh, once again, David Aune, who wrote the Word Biblical Commentary, um, gives us a lot of really good information. Um, Thyatira is situated on a the most important junction of roads between Lydia and Mycenae and was located 45 miles e- southeast of Pergamon, um, which was the last one we looked at. It is the modern city of Akizar, and it was located 35 miles inland between Pergamon and Sardis in northern Lydia or Mycia. According to legend, because we talked about this, how they always like to claim um, some kind of authority uh, from, from uh, past, the city was considered a Mycedonian. According, oh, sorry, according to legend, Thyatira was first established as a shrine to the sun god Tyrimnus and named Pelopia. The city was considered a Macedonian sh- settlement and was constructed by Seleucus Nicator as a frontier garrison. It was subject to Pergamum after 190 BC um, from two, and, uh, and to Rome after 133 BC. 155 BC, Prusius marched to Pergamon and his retreat went to Thyatira. In 132, the city was captured by Aristonicus, the son of Eumenes uh, II. So, it, it, it was... Because it was on an important um, intersection, you can see there's a lot of passing around between rulers. Um, <coughs> Lydia uh, of Thyatira, who lived in Philippi, Paul's first con- Christian convert in Europe, um, sold purple goods as a trade that she probably learned in Thyatira, which was particularly known for his dyeing processes and had a strong guild of dyers. Um, so actually we can, we can look at that. I actually pulled up that, um, actually pulled up that parallel. So here we go. Um, so this is, uh, when, when, when Paul comes to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and the Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to a woman, the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. So what we know is that it was a trade, a popular trade of Thyatira, and she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, "If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay." And she prevailed upon us. So, yeah, this is a uh, kind of the the big connection um, uh, to to like uh, the Acts story. Um, so, yeah, so it was a seller of purple dyes, which she probably learned there because it was, um, this was one of the significant uh, characteristics of Thyatira. It's continuing from Aune. There, the prominence of various trade guilds, including associations of clothiers, bakers, tanners, potters, linen workers, wool merchants, slave traders, shoemakers, dyers, and coppersmiths. Now, in spite of this, um, 
we find um so so Steve Gregg says the purple claw she sold was a major product of the city. However, Thyatira was known for little else of importance. Of the seven cities of Asia mentioned in Revelation, Thyatira was the least significant. Though the church there receives the longest letter. So so it's an, a largely unimportant city. Uh, but sitting on a hub, uh, a river, uh, a city hub, it, it, it kind of is really more probably of, of importance, uh, I guess you could say geographically, than for the city itself. And also it's interesting that it, it kind of sits on the hub between the two, uh, between the seven uh, churches. Um, there's kind of a turning point in this letter. Um, so in spite of the city not being all that important, this letter... Uh, their portion of the letter is the the longest, um, and yeah. Uh, so it's to the right to the church of Thyatira, um, Tade Lege, which means "Thus saith." Again, as we always emphasize, uh, the Son of God. Now. What's significant about this? Like, this is one of those terms and phrases for Jesus that is so common that uh, it's sort of that um, familiarity breeds contempt sort of thing. That that we're just like, okay, so what's the significance that it is those the words of the Son of God? Um, I don't know. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's saying these words. What's the big deal? Uh, so, what is the big deal of this, Jeff? Yeah, well, so the uh, the Son of God in the context of of uh, uh, of this passage, um, and I just pulled up the wrong note. Um, <laughs> uh, but the the Son of God in the context of this passage uh, uh, is uh, he's fulfilling the Psalm two son, um, and. Uh, uh, and 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 so uh, because because especially the way this passage ends with the with the promise to have him rule over the nations that they'll be given rods of iron that this is this, uh, this is the divine son who must be kissed lest he be angry and you perish in the way yeah. Um, and uh, and now that I've got my uh, and now that I pulled up the the correct uh, the correct notes, then I can see what else I had to say about that, which is um, I know I had something else. Oh well, okay, and that's as opposed to Jezebel's children in the passage. Mm -hmm. um, so you have the son of God versus the children of Jezebel. Um, yeah, that's a, that's another, um, that's another layer, um, yeah. there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the main, the main thing I had notes on for why the son of God is significant is because of the way because of the way it ends, uh, because yeah. of because of the parallels with Psalm yeah. two. Yeah, 
and and oh and but also is- also of course yeah and you just you just gave me a big hint yes of course <laughs> that's the other one is <laughs> is that uh um he's got the feet like bertrand's um yeah, yeah, yeah. when those are introduced earlier there uh yeah. they're uh burnished bronze uh as if as if polished in a furnace um yeah. and it's the it's the uh the fourth in the furnace that looks like a son of a son of god yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah it's in in as in as uh carl Mengri even points out in the chat like we expect a son of man reference here uh, mm-hmm. Like we expect the Son of Man reference because we don't see like again we they keep pulling the descriptions from the first chapter we don't see Son of God in the first chapter we see Son of Man but not Son of God and and um this is right. a significant like it, it's a it's it maybe be putting it too strongly called a debate and switch but it's a sense uh, a sort of a um I guess you could call it a theological bait and switch where they're taking the son of man imagery which we do take from 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 uh for like from daniel 7 um and of course i'm going to flash that on the screen we're not going to look at it too much because we've looked at it enough times before but there's this the son of man coming um who uh uh yeah whose kingdom shall not pass away and and also though it seems like they are um interpretively connecting that through doing so through taking a through taking um in chapter one there was a reference to the son of man who has burnished bronze feet and eyes like fire to now a son of god well yes and, and as you said in the fiery furnace the burnished bronze well there's there's uh, the fiery furnace and they throw uh, shadrach meshach and abednego into the into the fire for having uh failed to um or having having refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar, um, and uh, which obviously that's going to have a connection to the 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 culture problems, the the, the problem that they would look at that this this, this problem of um, the temptation to worship false gods in order to get along in society, and particularly to worship Caesar himself. Um, and you've got uh, mm-hmm. they they too would find um, comfort in this passage. But yeah, like you said, there's a fourth in the fire, which is, is one of the most uh, amazing imageries uh, in, 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 um, in the Bible. Like right here, did we not throw, cast three men bound to the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So connecting the son of man to the fourth who was in the fire is, is what's going on. And of course, like you say, it is going to connect to the fact that he is going to bring in Psalm two in a big way. And so, um, mm-hmm. you've got, um, that going on. And, uh, and, and so that's, that is, uh, um, I think that's some, some big things that are going on in this passage is this bringing in the son of God. Um, uh, the one who's the son of God. And then uh, let's, let's go back. Let's, let's zoom in again. Uh, unless you have, do you have more to say on that son of God? Um, not that I'm finding right away. I'm trying, I'm trying not to exit out of, uh, of the, 
because I've already lagged twice. I'm trying not to exit out of the call. And so I'm trying to find my, uh, my notes on my phone, but, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I think I think we've covered everything that I would have had. It's been a few weeks, folks. Just you just got to give got to give them a second to catch up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we're all lagging at this point. Um, OK, so <laughs> the all right, it goes on. Uh, the one having. The uh, his eyes as a flame of fire and the his feet like uh, Cal Colibano, like, and, and we're seeing we're, burnished bronze is kind of our, a good guess. Like, it seems like it's fine bronze, something like that. Um, as we've, we talked about the last time that, that word came up, which actually um, became the, uh, um, the title of the episode. Uh, the, the voice appears with bronzy feet or something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that's the episode. We talked about that there. That um, it's 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 hard to pinpoint exactly what that word means, but burnished bronze is kind of like the idea of a fine bronze, well, well, um, f- uh, furnished. You know, which of course would involve uh, fire. Um, it, it, so it's kind of a, it's it's kind of the best guess. But um, the the flaming fiery eyes are going to be significant in in um in this passage um, because of uh, he is the one who, 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 because of that, that reference, he's the one who sees the, he spies out the hearts and the minds. Um, But we've got burning bra like this, this burning eyes. Um, And of course that comes from the first chapter, uh, but also, uh, sorry, I have to remember, I have to find my notes. Um, I believe it's, I believe it's another Daniel, um, imagery. Correct me if I'm wrong. Again, if, if, if you want more info on that, you can go back to, um, gosh, I forget which episode it is. It's the one, uh, the, the voice appears is what the, it's titled. Um, it's gotta be episode I don't remember. <laughs> Twelve, I want to say. Yeah, something like that. Um, the voice appears with with bronzy feet. I think is what it's called. Um, but we've got these these images of both of, of searching the fiery eyes and of purity, like burnished bronze feet, and uh, this is um, significant for for those reasons. But also um, the fact that this is a a place that had lots of um uh i guess you, you know that that was very um uh what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> uh you're talking about the coppersmiths yeah yeah bronze working would have been one of the things that bronze would have happened in 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 Thyatira. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, this would have been an image that they would have um, latched onto this idea, this this um, burnished bronze. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Here, here it is. Here it is. G.K. Beale. Um, the um, a, a, some scholar named Hemer proposes that there is a reason to believe that the Thyatiran reading of one fifteen would recognize 
Calcolibanos as a local product, though the explicit association of the word of the city does not occur earlier than this text. Um, so this is something that it would have been a unique local product and a trade term likely associated with a local guild, um, which, which would have added kind of layers to, to this, um, to, to their, the way they would have read this. Um, but of course the biggest reference is to that chapter three, uh, of Daniel image of the burnished bronze there because to the, uh, the fourth one in the fire, he was in the furnace the fiery furnace where they would throw bronze and gold and things like that. And he is the one whose feet uh, walked in that fire. And uh, that would have been the, the big significant uh, reference, including especially Calcos is found in uh, Daniel 10 verse six is one of the images of, of uh, the, the angel in that chapter. Um, so yeah, this, this, uh, this is probably more connecting of the Son of God too to the to the Daniel vision. Um, yeah, and so, yeah. <clears throat> and that and that was episode eleven. All this appears with bronzy feet. Episode eleven. Uh-huh. Okay, episode eleven uh, is is where we talked more about that. And so you want to check that if you want to uh, more information on this. Um, we go into, if I remember right, a, a lot of detail. And yeah, I do believe it connects to Daniel 10 and, and such. Um, but but this is really setting up the Son of God thing. And I think that's going to come in. Uh, that's that's the really, I think, the big thing here is this, this Son of God. Uh, as, the Son of Man is the Son of God, which is, is going to uh, come back in a big way later in the chapter. So, going on. Um, I know your works and love and the faith and the service. Diakonoion is the word uh, from which we get uh, the word for deacon. Um, and your endurance and your later works and your works, the, the, the end or the later uh, are more than the first. So even though this is going to be harshly critiqued, they are not doing nothing. And, uh, and GK Beale is going to be very important. Uh, say that's very importantly point out that the works we're talking about. This is not just, um, just being a good citizen. We're talking about like these words that are used to describe the works are talking about, uh, their witness, love and faith and endurance, especially endurance and faith. Uh, where they appear elsewhere in the book, they almost always refer to persevering witness. Uh, like in chapter 13, uh, verse 10, chapter 14, verse 12, um, and, and such like that. Uh, then you also got faith in, in chapter 1, verse 5, 2, verse 10, 3, 14, 17, 14, and on and on and on. Furthermore, okay, so furthermore, the phrase, your last works are greater than the first, is an intended contrast with the church in Ephesus, whose first works of public witness were greater than their last works of witness. So we have, in some ways, the exact opposite of uh, Ephesus. Mm. In Ephesus, you have uh, very um, discerning in their opposition to false doctrine, 
but their former works are better than their later works. They have lost their first love is the critique that Jesus comes against them. And he warns them if they don't regain that first love, he's going to take their candle from them. Um, well, we have the opposite with this church. Their, their witness has not abated, has not abated, but has become stronger over time. Their latter works exceed the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so this is something good. Before we get to the critique, we notice that the good there is, is much to, to praise about this church. Uh, yeah. Um, but <laughs> then comes the, but, um, except here, I think it is an, um, an, yeah, no, it is a, but there it is. I'll, I'll, it's a big, but massive, but huge, but huge, <laughs> but I have against you that you have allowed, um, that the word a face to let go sometimes used, uh, most often used to refer to forgiveness, but here's just allowed permitted, um, the woman Jezebel, uh, who calls herself a prophet or prophetess. And so the question is, is Jezebel a literal woman or, um, or not? Like it, um, no, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think so. I, I think, um, uh, I think it's, it's possible that this could be a reference to a, a brazen heretic, <laughs> um, that they are, that they are not excommunicating from the church. Um, but I think it is much more likely, especially given the way this imagery is used or related imagery is used throughout the rest of this book. I think it is much more likely that uh, we're we're talking about the Hezbel and for a kind of heresy, um, not a particular blatant brazen heretic. Yes. Yeah. It, it cashes out to roughly the same thing. I don't think her name was literally Jezebel, no matter what. Yeah. So it cashes out to roughly the same thing, but I don't think he's just referring to one person. This most is, likely. This is okay. So there's there's sort of two levels to this. First, was there was it really a woman, or was it a woman? So like, um, one of the things that G.K. Beale points out is that okay, so. It seems like the language is quite parallel to like second John where she, he writes a letter to the elect woman, which does not actually seem to be written to a literal woman, but is used as, like is personifying the church as a woman, a woman and her children being the church and the people who are part of that church community. So is it a, a real woman or is it a woman, like a, a personification of a community? Or um, is it a... 
And, and further, if it is a woman, is it really a woman named Jezebel, or is it referring to the Bible? Well, the connection is way too uh, obvious. <laughs> I guess the parallel to the biblical character <laughs> is way too obvious for it not to be an intended allusion to the biblical passage. Um, let's just look mm-hmm. at that passage. Um, we've got, I've got pulled up um, those first um, Samuel uh, passages. So you've got, um, she, she appears in the story of uh, Ahab, the king of the Northern kingdom, uh, the son of Omri, which actually we have um, uh, archeological findings of the house of, Omri in, in other uh, nations. This, this came to be so for a long time, uh, Omri's clan, where it was a, a longer running dynasty for the Northern Kingdom. It's easy for us to look at, at those dynasties and think um, they're shorter because we're just reading it all really fast. But he had multiple, um, he, he had, you know, several generations of kings sitting on the throne. And uh, so the house of Omri actually became a way of referring to the Northern kingdom at that time. Uh, so you've got Ahab, the son of Omri began to reign over Israel and Ahab, the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who went before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal king of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshiped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel to anger than all the kings who were before him. So you've got particularly terrible king and he is particularly uh, highlighted in light of the fact that he also happens to live at the time that the greatest prophet, uh, one of the greatest prophets of his, of, uh, Israel's history happened to also be alive, which is Elijah. And of course his, uh, his, um, successor, Elisha. And, uh, so Ahab takes this woman, Jezebel. She is a, a Sidonian woman. And she, uh, and this passage doesn't make clear, but later passages will. She is a large reason why Ahab goes running after these false gods. This is a, a theme that we see come up again and again on the biblical narrative. Uh, and you could find it also as an important theme in the book of Proverbs. Find a good wife because a bad wife will lead you to worship false gods and uh, may end up getting eaten by dogs. So, so this is not uh, she's not a good woman. Uh, this is her first appearance, but really she starts to heat up. Things start to heat up around. Where is it? Chapter 19. So you've got all these these incidences that like Elijah, some of the best stories in, 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 in the Bible are Elijah's stories. Like chapter 18 is so much fun. Uh, but yeah, you've got Jezebel again. Uh, Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. So she's she herself is going after the Lord's prophets and prom- as well as promoting the false uh, gods. She's going after those who serve the Lord. And then you have this great story of the prophets, the battle, the, the, the prophet rap battle on Mount Carmel. And uh, such a great story. 
But it comes to the end of it, and Elijah wins the battle uh, of gods. Well, no, uh, Yahweh wins the battle, but Elijah gets to represent him, um, gets to be Yahweh's hype man. And then afterwards, he uh, executes a whole bunch of them, kills a whole lot of them. Which, honestly, uh, reject modernity, embrace tradition. This is how rap battles should end. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, chapter 19, we get Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the, all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So, and then he flees from the, uh, away from her. So this is, this is the woman. She is... Um, quite something in the way of, uh, you know, uh, spurring on evil. There, there's the chapter 21 story where Ahab wants Naboth's um, uh, property. And uh, what he starts whining about it because a, he won't give him the property. He won't sell him the property. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said, why is your spirit so vexed? You eat no food. Tells her because I spoke to Je- uh, they both the Jezreelite, and he wouldn't give me my stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, "Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite." And uh, then she uh, plays some trickery on him, and uh, they hires some worthless men to lie. Naboth cursed God and the king, which he did not do. And then they stone him to death. And then, ta-da, the land suddenly becomes available. Uh, so, she, all, all in all, I don't need to tell, I, I guess I don't need to go on and on about this, but she is not a good person. And um, her biggest flaw, the worst thing that she does, is uh, leads Israel into, uh, into rebellion against God and to the worship of false gods. And so this woman, this Jezebel, whether she's a, a, a prophetic community personified as a woman or an actual <coughs> woman, I'll say that I lean toward um, her being, I, well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I go back and forth in this one. I lean toward her being a representative woman, but I am not, am open to the possibility that she was an actual woman. Um, hmm. But she is... Um, teaching them to uh, to to rebel in the same way that Jezebel did. See, because what what do we see? Verse twenty uh, continues, and he in okay. So she calls herself a prophet and is teaching and deceiving or seducing the SV has, uh, which is not a bad translation. Um, my servants into set into fornication pornusi into sexual immorality we said um, and to the eating of idolatry so eating food sacrifice to idols so that sounds a lot like the Jezebel of the Bible um, and, and another question we could ask at this point is okay so is it referring to actual sexual immorality um, or, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm looking away and I just suddenly saw the chat. Y'all, y'all are going crazy in there. Uh, um, but 
I love it. Um, but <coughs> is it real sexual immorality? Like, is she really leading them into um, orgies, or uh, is this again a metaphor? Like, uh, what? Where do you take? How? Which way do you take that? Um, I, my tendency, um, and and this may be my mildest of all possible disagreements with Senpai Beal. Um, my tendency is to say both, and they're kind of inseparable. Okay. So we talked a few episodes back about how um, it might be hard to determine whether Israel's desire for a king or her idolatry is what was being referred to as yeah. that uh, in Hosea 9 where he says it was at Gilgal that I began to hate them. Um, uh, and, and I think it's similar here is that, is that, uh, um, idolatry and sexual immorality go hand in hand. Idolatry often consists of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality often consists of idolatry and they are used as figures of each other in the scriptures, uh, of which, by the way, that is the main point of Hosea, in fact, um, is um, a uh, analogy uh, between adultery and idolatry. Um, and, uh, and so, um, so yes, I do, I, I do think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there is there's both. This is yeah, this is yeah. probably a a type of idolatry that also involves sexual immorality. That's my yeah, that's my assumption. And I, I I think in some ways it's uh it's it's uh, I, I I'm in some ways don't I guess I don't even care. Um, <laughs> there's a sense in which like both are true. Like, I get like, like what you're saying is absolutely true. And I, I think is, um, uh, the, the, it's very clear that it's at least a metaphor. I know it's weird that we're going in that direction. Um, but at least it's a metaphor because idolatry is, as you said, in Hosea, um, and, and throughout much of the old Testament, this is common metaphor that, you know, like, well, okay. You get right back to the beginning and God enters into a covenant with Israel, a covenant with Israel. There, there, there's a, the, the suzerain vassal treaty structure is all over the books uh, of, of the law and uh, especially the book of Deuteronomy, which is basically one large suzerain vassal treaty. Um, but, but this covenant, it's a very easy, um, it's a very easy step to the right to get into um, now we're looking at uh, the covenant of marriage and that metaphor becomes mm -hmm. very common. It's, it's common in the law. It's common throughout the prophets. Um, Jose obviously is a particularly vivid um, full metaphor of, of sexual immorality of, of idolatry being sexual immorality. But it's the idea that God Yahweh is the, uh, is the husband of his bride Israel and Israel has committed sexual immorality by 
abandoning her husband and chasing after other other gods, which would be other husbands. And so at the very least, it is a metaphor. And we know that this is a common metaphor throughout uh, the book of, of, of Revelation. Now, it is not, it would not be, a, I'll say this, it would not surprise me to find that John also has actual sexual immorality in mind. Um, as Carl Manger pointed out in the chat, um, all of these these places where they sacrifice idols, they would also have orgies there a lot of times. And like you said, there is this very it's 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 a very common these these false gods. You go in and you would have a little bit of fun, and it's all in the name of worshiping the god. And of course, you know, like so then once so then uh, worshiping this other god or compromising is just an excuse to get your jollies off, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, unsurprising. Um, but, by the very least, it is a metaphor. Uh, I say the metaphor. Well, of I noted false worship. Yeah. Right. I notice also that in, in the S five council, yes. what does it say? What does it say is the, is the is yes. the minimum standards of of uh, of uh, what's the uh, word for uh, homogeneity or yeah 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 that's what I was trying yeah to um, uh, but, uh, but the so that so that um, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. But what yeah. you do have to become is someone who who doesn't eat meat sacrificed to idols, yeah. doesn't engage in sexual immorality, yeah. um, and an abstinence from blood, whatever that means. Yeah, whatever <laughs> um, that means. So <laughs> but so so those are the so those are the three um, yeah. those are the three categories that they think are yeah that they think it's important to point out are not just yeah. culturally Jewish, but that, yeah. that are acceptable, uh, that are, that are the bare minimum requirements to be a Christian. Now, yeah. so then I think, I think that's because um, the argument would have been that eating meat sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality is is just part of the culture in Thyatira. Yeah. It's just part of the culture in Crete. Yeah. It's just part of the culture in Corinth. And it certainly was. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, but but the but but the the point is that culture is not neutral, actually. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. That that, uh, that that there are um there are cultural practice, cultural even cultural practices um, can be judged by objective biblical standards, yes. um, which is not to say that um, Christianity uh, will not look different different cultures and that that's not a good and beautiful thing, but that there are at least some objective standards <laughs> for yeah. uh, for cultures. But anyway. Um, yeah. That was that 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 side sermon was for free, but yeah. but, but it, the you know, uh, the point um, being 
that this was obviously rampant yeah. in all these places. <laughs> yeah. And and that yeah. was the concern of the X5 council. But anyway. Yeah, and that's that's a great point to bring up this whole cultural culture is not neutral thing. It, because it's like it's it's one of those like uh f- fashionable evangelicalism is to say like, you know, and really this is also it's what's really funny is um one of the things you cannot do as a Western person ever is claim that Western culture is better than another culture. You are not allowed to do that, which ironically is probably one of the most Western things you can say that you can't judge another culture as better or worse. Every culture <laughs> judges other cultures as better or worse than their culture. It is only the West. And this is unique, interesting Interestingly, both the strength and weakness of the West, of Western culture, is this self-critical element to it. Like, it's the same thing that makes us self-hating people and unable to defend our own culture. Um, But also, it's the reason why, one of the reasons that makes Western culture strong is that we have a self-critiquing streak to us. Um, but, but that is interesting. It's, it's, I always find that so funny is that like this whole, like, yeah, you know, you can't judge whether a culture is better or worse. Yeah. You wouldn't say that if you were Western. So, uh, which you're essentially saying is that every culture should be Western, which is, uh, permissible to other cultures. But, but, but it's just, it's just not, I think, especially like as a gospel Christian perspective, like you, it's just, you can't say that there's no way you can say that every culture is neutral. Um, different cultural practices are going to be like this. This again gets back to the the thing we say again and again is that we need to get back to uh, the moral law of God as the measuring stick of both uh, both to hold up to ourselves in judging our own sanctification and to hold up to a culture or to a um, society to on, on its uh, relative justice or injustice. Like what are we gonna ju- what are we gonna judge it on? It's we're gonna be judging it based on tastes and subjective sensibilities, unless we have an objective measure to to hold it up against. And 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 this is what mm-hmm. they're doing at the councils. They're holding up an objective measure and saying like, yes, you don't have to. Um, and of course, X fifteen we didn't say the X fifteen councils where they decided on the question of whether or not. The Gentiles needed to be circumcised. Oh, I said X five like three times, didn't I? I meant X fifteen. Yeah. Of course, I meant yeah, X fifteen. We all we all understand, <laughs> you know. Uh, maybe the chapters are longer in in Canada, uh, but <laughs> but the X fifteen. Uh, we didn't say this, but the X fifteen council. That's that's what they came together to decide to to figure out what that what what was the answer going to be and this is the answer they come to and James uh, offers what's called a compromise but I don't think it's I I never liked that ref, calling it a compromise like it's the compromise of James it's not a compromise they're coming with a strong statement a strong condemnation of the judaizers and a strong statement in favor of uh true worship and and strong statement against like what what they're doing is like as you said they're making a statement against the worship requirements of these uh, other cultures and other gods. Like you cannot worship our mm-hmm. God and eat food sacrificed to idols. Um, and uh, you cannot commit sexual immorality. And based on those, the fact that those two things are, are often as- associated with false worship, we can kind of guess that the blood and strangled references probably is toward 
Like, I, obviously, we can't say for certain, but it seems like contextually it makes sense to fit those into. That's what they're talking about. And and it's not surprising mm-hmm. that we should see this language here. Um, David Aune, um, who I, I really appreciate his work, but sometimes um, his liberalism shows. Um, on this point, he's like uh, he's like talks about how he's not sure if it's uh, proper to see this language in Revelation because he's not sure that um, Revelation ever uses the book of Acts as a document. Um, I happen to believe that the writer of the book of Revelation was there. So uh, I think it's perfectly <laughs> reasonable to see this language right. here. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, and it, so it makes sense that we see this yes. language here. Yes, I, I do believe the writer of the book of Revelation um, would not need Acts as a document yes. um, to know what happened at the Jerusalem Council. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having been yeah. one of the elders in Jerusalem and all. Yeah. Uh, having been part of the writing of it. Um, but, right. but, but that is definitely one thing. And so, yeah, like, um, the, the connection to acts is, is very important, but this gets into the, the metaphor of sexual immorality combined with the issue of idolatry mm-hmm. combined with the fact that of why I lean toward, um, it being a representative woman and not an actual woman. And that is when we look at some of the other places where this language of sexual immorality um, comes up as referring to um, uh, false worship, which is where we find the whore of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, we there in chapter fourteen of Revelation, we have the three the three angels all coming with. Uh, their statements uh, of, uh, of, of um, their, their warnings, they're coming. And the second angel, we see this in 14 verse 8. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, again, it might be because of the connection of sexual immorality to idolatry but at the very least, it is making a statement about sexual immorality there. And we see this woman, Babylon, the great is making she it's she she's personified as a woman making the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And uh, she comes up again in 17, which is the great chapter on the great prostitute and the beast. And in. <coughs> In 16 uh, years, when we finally get to this, I'm going to have we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, but then it's one of the angels comes and, and introduces the horror of Babylon. Um, and she said they came with and they say, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and the wine of whose sexual immorality. The dwellers of the earth have become drunk. Wait a second. Who was that committing sexual immorality with her again? Uh, that would be the kings of the earth. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah, wonder if we'll have something earth. to say about that. I wonder. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. And, and I'll, Interesting. We'll talk more about this. So I'm just going to make my thesis up front. <laughs> I think it is very clear when we look at the language describing Babylon the whore we are talking about Rome 
we're talking about the city of Rome. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, who is the city that led the nations to, to, the, the, to drink the wine of sexual morality? Some will claim that it's Jerusalem. I don't see that case. I don't see the case. Um, yes, Jerusalem ran off into sexual immorality. Yes, that's uh, of uh, both in a literal and in the figurative sense. But leading all the nations of the earth into it, I don't. I don't see it. And, and what's more, the the language of she who's seated between the seven hills. I just it it, it makes sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Don't read that out loud. <laughs> You've already been kicked off one social media for saying that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but <laughs> but we've got Babylon the whore. She this this is who she is. She's she's the city of Rome. This is uh this is why I see I say I lean toward this being a representative woman for this um cult. And maybe it was a woman actually leading the cult, the cult. Um, but, but what we're looking at, like when we're talking about ba the whore of Babylon, was she leading others into the worship of false gods? Yes. But the, the most egregious of her prostitutions was getting them to worship her and, and to worship the beast, which I take Again, we're going to we're going to have to make this case when we get there, but I take that as a representation of the Roman Empire. The beast is the mm -hmm. Roman Empire. The whore is Rome herself. And so getting everyone to worship the beast, that is the greatest sexual immorality, getting everyone to worship the empire itself, um, which we find literally in the imperial cult and figuratively in what we nowadays call statism this worship of the glory of rome uh the pax romana and how she is she, she protects us all watches over us and and uh yeah yeah well and i do think that there was one more point back in chapter 14 Okay. Uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to stop your role there, but I did yeah. think there was one more point in chapter fourteen that strengthens the point that we're making. That uh, well, it strengthens strengthens the point that it's not just literal sexual immorality, but right. but mostly has to do with idolatry because the hundred and forty four thousand are yes. are said to be virgins. Yeah. And. Yes. I don't think that means that only virgins will go to heaven um, yeah. <laughs> because uh, because I do think that uh, the the Lord has created marriage um, for uh, for our good, for the good of society and for the good of the church. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I know if, if it doesn't have to do with literal abstention from sex in the case of the 144,000, then it has perhaps less to do with literal whoring in the case of yeah. prostitute. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, that's a great point. Glad you caught me on that. Um, 
So yeah. so this is this is the Bible's version of a Virgin and Chad meme. It's just <laughs> you know the good way. It's vice versa. Yeah, the Virgin is the Chad in in, in this case. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think and I think this is this is an important um, detail. I think yeah, we we see the fall of Babylon again. That for the, all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth committed immorality with her. Merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. We're gonna have a lot to say about this when we get there. Oof. Honestly, while reading some of the, the, the these passages, I was like, oh now, my goodness. Now, but hang but hang yeah. on. You you just lumped together state actors and corporations. For surprise, now, co- private company, bro. They can do what they want. It's a private company, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's and, yeah, and and you as a libertarian are supposed to have absolutely nothing to say about it ever. It's <laughs> right, private company, bro. Uh, I for one, I for one support our techno overlords. And then the fall of her, and then the fall of of the great. Speaking of our techno overlords, YouTube also did not sponsor this podcast. All right, Um, (laughs) Uh, it's currently carrying it, so let's be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but the in the combination of of the prostitute, uh, she is the one who corrupted the earth with her immorality, Uh, and yes, this is. This is definitely part of, at least part of, um, what we're seeing here is this: the sexual immorality is a reference to um, the worship of false gods, and especially in combined. <laughs> oh, Carl, uh, Jezebel's a private company, John. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, but the, especially combining uh, sexual immorality with the eating of idolatry. Like that's, that's just, the connection is so tight there. Um, and so we can get a picture. We're, we're getting a picture, um, throughout all of these letters of, uh, who these servants of Baal, the, or the, 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 uh, the teachers of the teachings of Baal, the, these Nicolaitans, these, uh, this, this woman Jezebel, um, we're seeing that this all combines and we're figuring out uh, <laughs> we're figuring out who sh- who what this false doctrine, this false teaching that Ephesus has rightly rejected and and the other churches are flirting with, if not falling into it. Um, and this is this um, this common thing and, and we're hitting it really hard. Um, because it's going to be really important that we get it solid before we move on to the rest of the book of Revelation. This common mm-hmm. practice of the trade unions having a patron deity that they would have to yes. sacrifice to at their meetings. And so you cannot take part of this uh, union meeting unless you are part of their worship. And involved in that worship... And you, one might argue almost in, integral to the act is this practice of imperial of, of, of offering a sacrifice to the imperial cult. And, and, and 
This is the major heresy that John is looking to go to war with. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> why in the world would that be of interest to a couple of libertarians willing to use the word anarchist? I Like, this is... The truth is... Whoo! I'm about to start ranting. The truth is... We have seen it for a long time. It manifested first, obviously, among right-wing churches who would uh, cancel their Sunday worship services in order to have a flag-waving America-worshipping extravaganza on July 4th or on Memorial Day or on Labor Day or where we spend an entire morning singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic and God Bless America from sea to shining sea. And we, we wave that flag and we're asking who the heck are we worshiping? <coughs> and and certainly that's been the her the, the heresy of Jezebel. That's been the most common heresy of Jezebel in our nation. And then we get the heresy of Jezebel in the um oof. In the churches that were willing to be locked down. And this is, I, I, I say mm. this as a person who was part of a church that locked down. I did not throw a fit. I did not make my, I did not speak out against it. I, um, I went along with it. Uh, in some ways, I bought this idea that it would only be 15 days. Silly, ignorant, backwards, Josh. But this is, this is, this is it. This is the heresy of Jezebel. This is the Nicolaitan heresy where we are, are willing to let the church tell us when we can or can't worship. We've bent our knee to Caesar. We have allowed Caesar to tell us how to worship. And so the question is, if, if, if Caesar can tell me when or when I can't worship, who is really ruling the church? Who am I, who am I gathered to worship? Right? Like this, this is... This is the case of, of whether it's right or left, this idea, this, this constant theme of this idea that, that, that they are, the government has our best interests in heart and, and we need to, we get together every time we get together, someone is, and we have a prayer meeting, someone is going to utter the phrase, Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country. And I look around and I say, what? And, and uh, I just sort of, like my, my wife is sort of getting in the habit of like nudging me, making sure I don't say anything because I'm like, really? Are you serious? Like what freedoms are we talking about? But of course we got to thank God for the freedoms we have in this country. And, and we have to make some kind of a statement on, on Memorial day. And we have to thank our troops and we have to um, say a prayer for those, those great men and women who help our country to run. And it's just The heresy of Jezebel is all over the American church. From the lockdowns to the flag waving to, to the fact that the greatest evil that the church can condemn is the, uh, is, is the, the terrible assault on our hallowed halls. Oh my goodness. All of the religious language that came up around January 6th. All the, oh, they desecrated yeah. this holy chamber. Desecrated. Desecrated. Made unholy. The sacred chambers. Like 
this is like I like I, I I had a friend I talked to I, I saw him last week and he was talking about how he visited Washington D.C. He's like it's really interesting it's really fascinating it's fun to, to check it all out and I was just like I'm, I'm just I kind of just made one statement and I kind of just let it go and just let him go on I said yeah I'm not really interested in going there um, and and really the ultimate reason is because I just think I would be on the verge of throwing up the entire time with all of the religious iconography at the heart of that um, town and um, <laughs> the temple with the, the God of Abraham Lincoln, uh, the great spear, the great, the fact that we have that Washington pot, uh, that, that, that great Astra pole dedicated to George Washington uh, <laughs> overlooking the pool Uh that that nothing can stand higher than the Capitol building's pinnacle, like there's no there's no skyscrapers because nothing can go higher than that pinnacle because nothing can be higher than our government which upholds it's such irony, upholds Lady Liberty and nothing can go higher than her, Ugh. and uh, and we imbibe this religious fervor uh, as Christians more than anyone else. Uh, whether it's conservative Christian culture or you get it in the, the liberal culture, it's, just, it's different. The leftist Christian culture, is, it's, it's a different kind of the same thing. This idea that to care for the, we, we need to care for the widow and the orphan. That's why you have to be for socialism. And, and uh, this idea that if we could just let, give daddy government because enough power. Widows and orphans do so well. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's true, yeah. It's yeah. We need to care about the widow and orphan. Therefore, you need to follow the economic policy that has been the worst for widows and orphans yes. every time it's been tried in the history of humanity. That has had that has made widow and orphanhood uh, systemic. <laughs> like the, it's, right, it's become right, and yeah, along with the along with the minor fact that it makes more widows and orphans. Absolutely, and and this is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carl Linger. January 6th was literally worse than 70 AD. You'd think so. Um and and, and the gr- the great evil and this is why like this is this is sometimes talking to to Christians about this concept of that we started our our, our show with this concept of secession. Like you'd think that I'm I'm throwing a bible in the fire by the way they react sometimes like this idea like the, the the terrible thing is this idea that America could be divided, and like, well, why not? And then and you bring up those verses like all the nations of the earth are a drop in the bucket. The kings of the earth they 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 have committed sexual immorality with the whore of Babylon. That we're gonna come back to in a in a little bit. The Psalm two. What do they? What do the nations do? They rage, and plot in vain against the Lord and His Christ. It's anointed. And, uh, and what do they do? They, they do their darndest to throw off his rule. Let us cast away their, let us, let us throw, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what they say. This is, a, an attempt to throw off the reign of God and Christ. This is what the nations do. This is what the Kings of the earth do. And, uh, we'll see what, <laughs> We'll see what Christ has to say about that. Uh, but I think 
we're about at the halfway point. And so I'd like to make it easier for me when I have to divide this episode. Okay. So if you have some last words to say about this verse, um, yes, we're going to take a quick about, break. I do about um, Jezebel. Um, okay. And, and, and uh, as the ESV puts it, tolerating that woman Jezebel. Um, and especially I feel that um, translations like that, the go tolerate and tolerate, it's not wrong. Um, I, but but I, I think that's, I think that's some people, so I have seen this passage used as a, a passage against religious toleration, saying, saying that therefore freedom of religion is unbiblical. But note who he's talking to. He's he's talking to the church about a, we would argue from other places in the book, a um a false religious teacher that's in bed with the government or the trade unions or both. <laughs> um so, so we're we're letting it's talking about a church letting um, letting outside authorities corrupt the worship of the church. That's different than turning that around and then saying that the state gets to determine the worship. You see how that's exactly the opposite. It proves exactly the opposite that the state getting to turn because fundamentally, with without without toleration, which we now would call freedom of religion, um, uh, without uh, without that, then ultimately, ultimately, if you push that, you're getting to the point where the state has to set rules for how worship will be conducted, which is the exact opposite of what this passage is teaching. Yeah. And, and and here I will here I will say say my uh, my my trustworthy line um, that Jesus Christ gets to make the rules for how he will be worshipped in his house by his people and anyone who who tries to make the rules who isn't Jesus Christ is an antichrist. Yes. And we'll see that this Jezebel in league with the antichrist. Um, yes. Um, and her, it, it, her downfall is his downfall. His downfall is her downfall. They are, um, they're, um, they are uh, traveler, fellow travelers would be putting it mildly. Um, so, um, so look, yeah, it, I, I, I just wanted to say a word about that because I have seen this passage used to justify um, taking, uh, saying that freedom of religion is an unbiblical concept. It's it's not one of the main ones, but it's one of the ones that comes up. And 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 I just want to point out how absolutely bonkers that is, yeah. <laughs> based on the context. This is yeah. literally a letter to a church. <laughs> yeah. It's it's if anything, saying the exact. Same. Yeah, you let her go. Yeah, I think that's why I try to bring out that meaning of that word. You allow her to continue is this idea is that you're letting her to continue uh, 
leading your people astray, leading people into this false worship. And, and um, this is an issue of church discipline needing to happen. Kick her out is what she's say they're saying. Kick her out. Condemn her and kick her out. Um, and this is why, as Christians, we need to take, I mean, talk about hopping on our hobby horses, but we need to take other governments than the government. That's one of the reasons I hate using that term. We need to take other governments seriously. And the civil magistrate is not yeah. the only government. Um, the church is a government. The family is a government. Private property is a government. Yeah. Um, all of these, all of, and all of these accomplish their governance without violence. So we need to take, we need to take these because um, one of the other things that he's going to put at the feet of this Jezebel later is her violence and her encouragement of violence. And, yes. um, and so, uh, yeah. so we need to take seriously, we need to take more seriously kinds of governments that are available to us without violence, um, yeah. of which church government is one of the most important ones. And, okay. and frankly, I'm going to say one of the most neglected ones that we Baptists tend towards um is we 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 tend we tend to um not take church very seriously or go the other way and end up with elders who are functional tyrants because so many baptists don't take church government seriously um and um and uh i'm i'm not making the case for the for the Baptist approach to church governance here, um, because Iowa Ancap is trying to put a put a stopper in this episode. But uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and and that would be maybe another hour. But uh, but we uh, um, we uh, 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 like this is one of the reasons why like a practical application <laughs> here would be to take our own. For, for us, Bapt I'm I'm yelling at us Baptists in particular. Yeah. Take our own theology on church government seriously, and actually, actually put it into practice, and actually care. Uh, like read your church bylaws. Not care how they're written. Yeah. Actually, um, uh, this uh, this stuff matters greatly. Um, it, it matters, it, it, especially from a Baptist perspective, or if actually yeah. Presbyterians are, are good with this too. It matters yeah. to every member. Um, it's not just it's not just the elders who have to worry about that. Um, it's the responsibility of every member to accept and to excommunicate members. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so um, and, and and so obviously one of the one of the most key elements of church governance, including this one, which, which is excommunication, like mm -hmm. the, the one that is implicitly being called for here is excommunication. Um, that's, not, that's, not the, that's not the province of, of just church leaders. It's not the province of, of, uh, of, of uh, guys with blogs who, who who write books and and uh, and, and who it, it's a, a evangelical thought leaders. This is something that every church member needs to know what to do about because it's 
because it's it's biblically assigned to the church to do these things, not just to the leadership of the church. So, Absolutely. all right, soapbox or maple Absolutely. maple syrup box dismount. Canadians. All right, so uh, we're gonna bring this to it. Uh, so we're gonna bring this episode to a close. Obviously, uh, we're gonna continue the stream for you guys watching uh, live with us. We'll come back in a minute. I need to hit the head first. Uh, but um, I think a good way to end this episode is following Carl Menger's uh, lead. By the way, I should mention that Carl Menger, we're referring to our friend who, who uses the moniker Carl Menger, not the actual economist. He has not risen from the dead to watch our podcast. Right. Uh, that's that's an important thing. Uh, but our friend Carl Menger, we, we're going to we, follow his We're not breaking Deuteronomy 30 or, we're, or Deuteronomy 18, maybe, um, to, to um, first with the dead. No necromancy here. Um, but uh, Carl Menger, <laughs> as following our friend Carl Menger's lead, uh, we on the Anarchist Bible Study hate the Antichrist. <laughs> Good day. Hello, audio listeners. Iowankap thought he was too good to do the outro for you, something about saving his best material for the video watchers. So I, Randy, am here to remind you to subscribe, rate 5 stars, and share this episode and all of our episodes with all of your friends, enemies, and people for whom you feel absolutely nothing. Just like me. I am totally numb. Anyway. Send us a question or message at anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com and the guys will read it on the air. And be sure to come back next week when we take anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. Grace and peace.